I'm your producer, Todd Bartu, and this is Offshore Explorer. Offshore Explorer looks at the world from the mariner's point of view, port by port. Together, we share stories that detail the important intersections between sailing, culture, and life, past, present, and future. Coming up on today's episode, the protocol of checking in, which includes homemade wine, the mafia, spies, men with guns, and pretty women. But first, let me introduce our host, a lifelong sailor who has traveled the world, raced international 14s, and crossed the Atlantic countless times. A published author who has written for both stage and screen, Mr. Scott Dodson. Thank you, Todd. Always so generous with your compliments. I appreciate it. So last week's episode was about Simi, Greece, which makes it sound like an amazing island that I would love to go visit once we are out of our stay-at-home orders. And we had a great response to the episode. So what is today's episode about? This episode is about protocol. And that's checking in from in one country to another country. Uh, we'll be checking in with Italy and checking in with Tabarka, Tunisia. Uh, both very different kinds of countries. Both have different kinds of requirements to get into the country. And both provide really interesting stories. Great. Take it away, Scott. Thank you, Todd. I appreciate that very much. Today's title is Protocol. Whenever you're sailing into different countries, you have to deal with immigration and customs. Uh, it's not like the airport. Uh, because you're bringing in a very large and expensive object. Uh, sometimes it could be very difficult and sometimes it could be very simple. Um, the people that deal with mariners in most countries are generally very, very nice. Um, they understand you can work with them. If, if there's a piece of paper you don't have, they will advise you and you know you have a chance to go around now with that said um, the United States Customs and Border Patrol are the worst and have the worst reputation of anybody in the world as a bureaucracy um, they have created nonsense for a lot of people and for sailors as well uh, but I'm not going to get too much into them because that's that's a couple of podcasts of lambasting the way they do business and just their general attitude. What I wanted to talk about with protocol is to show two different ways of doing business, so to speak. Uh, one, checking in to uh, Sicily and the second, checking into Tabarka, Tunisia. Two vastly different countries, customs, ways, and some sort of really interesting stories about the whole how it works kind of thing. So I ended up going into Palermo every, every year, twice a year. It was like a biannual stop. The fuel dock there is run by this 
really nice man named Angelo. Um, most yachts and stuff, they don't stop in Palermo. Palermo is a real industrial port. Um, you know, they, they have drilling rigs there. They have giant industrial whatever is all in this port. So it's the marina there or where you dock is, is just along a quay. It's very small. It's very local and they don't get a lot of visitors. The port itself is, is not very pleasant. The water is greasy. Um, there's industrial smells. There's like welding going on across the way. I mean, it's just a real live port. Um, they build some ships. They build oil rigs. They build a lot of stuff in there. And they've got ships coming in and out. And tugs and God knows what else comes in and out of that port. It's not a usual stop for yachts. Um, transiting from the Eastern Med to the Western Med. Or in my case, from the Eastern Med through the Western Med and to the Caribbean. But I stopped there kind of by accident, actually, because I was sailing from Gibraltar uh, to Greece. And I was, going through the, I was going to go through the Straits of Messina, kind of sort of the shortest distance between two points. And I had absolutely no wind whatsoever for, for three days. So all we did was motor. All I did was motor for three days. And uh, I figured, you know what, I better get some fuel. So I went into this fuel dock, very commercial, and I met Angelo. Uh, he was so happy to see me. Um, I, have a, I had a big American flag on the back of the boat. And his children were living in America, and he was a lover of America, and, you know, he filled up the boat with fuel, and he talked to me, he gave me, like, the best price, he said, don't worry, everything's going to be great. Um, he actually, there was a young kid there, he sent him out to get some really good Sicilian sandwiches. He just was happy to talk to an American. Uh, you know, the sandwiches arrived, I paid for the fuel, I paid for the sandwiches, uh, which I got a real bargain on the fuel, by the way. Now I went to start the engine and the fan belt broke. So Angelo helped me find the right belt. And I will tell you this, this is just a little note to boaters. Whenever you buy something, make sure it's positively the right size. I bought this belt and it was folded up and wrapped up and it was in a bag and it was marked the size the type of belt and everything else like that when i took it out of the bag it was a different belt somebody had put the wrong belt in that i had this happen to me on my uh steering on my uh, steering pump it had a little tiny very specific uh belt and it was in the wrong package. I ended up steering, uh, hand steering for close to 12 days, um, exhausted the crew. Uh, hand steering is hard to do if, you know, 24 seven. And uh, so anyway, just a word of advice on that is just please, you know, take the stuff out of the package, make sure it's exactly the right thing. Even if the numbers all say it is, don't trust them. Just make sure you do that because at the end of the day, You'll find more mistakes by doing that than you will 
you know, you don't want to find that when you're out in the middle of a storm and you need this part to work right now. That's all I'm saying. So anyway, uh, the fan bell broke and Angelo um, helped me find the right bell. I, we jumped in his late model Mercedes and he said, let's, you know, you can stay the night and let's start running around Palermo. So he's giving me the nickel tour around Palermo in the car. And he's just, it was like, we're driving 60 miles an hour down side streets in residential neighborhood in Palermo, which is a very densely packed uh, city. And it was fabulous, but it, it was it was also terrifying because he drove like he talked and he talked like he drove. And it was just, it was maddening. And oh, and he says, this is, you know, I was married down on this street. That's the church uh, my daughter was baptized in. <laughs> when we go around the corner, he says, oh yeah, you could really get a great sandwich here. <laughs> and we're going around and around and around. And, but it was this great, wonderful um, enthusiasm. And, you know, there's, there's, you can't, you can't stop it. It's just great. And, and so we went back and we went to the, the port captain's office. And I had all my papers and Angelo, of course, knew, knew the port captain. They went to school together and grew up together. And the port captain looks at me and he says, what do you want? And, and Angelo says, he wants to check in. And he looked at Angelo and he looked at me. He says, but, but you're an American. And I said, yes, but I have to check in. It's a di I'm coming from a different country. You, you know what I'm saying? And, and he looked at me and he goes, yes, but this is Sicily. It's the 51st state of America. He says, we celebrate Thanksgiving. Everybody has a father, a son, an uncle, a cousin, a daughter. All live in America. They come back. This is America, 51st state. But I'll do it for you anyway. So he ended up stamping on the passport, my passport, and 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 doing all the paperwork for the boat and all the rest of that. And I was just like, okay, this is cool. This is about the easiest check-in. And then how much do I have to pay? Right? That's always the next question. I think I paid, and if I remember this correctly, it was about $5.60 check-in to Italy. That was it. Some countries it's expensive. Um, like a permit to check in and be in Turkey is like close to 800 bucks. It's probably more now. But a lot of this stuff is you, you learn as you go along. So anyway, I was incredibly happy. We, we got out of there. And so he, Angelus is, um, well, you could put the boat here and we tied up stern two. And I, you know, I had to rearrange the boat because I was side two to take the fuel and then I was going to be at the end of his section of fuel dock right next to where the marina start. Now, the marina, if I wanted to uh, stay a night in a marina, it was $150. Uh, but since I was on his side, I was right next to a boat in the marina. The line was there, so I didn't have to pay. And in fact, Angelo said I could stay there for free for a few days if I wanted so I made some different plans and I was going to have to wait there in Sicily, in Palermo, for about four or five days until my crew showed up. My mate at the time, Laura, was with some friends and they were backpacking through 
Europe while I was uh, sailing across the ocean. And she was, and her friends were on their way. And because as soon as I got to Rhodes, Greece, I would start the charter season and they would, you know, she would be there as the mate and the cook and stuff like that to do it. So I was, they decided that they would meet me in, in Palermo instead of meeting me in Greece. And so that was, that was the plan. So I was going to stay there for a little bit. And actually I was quite happy to stay there. Um, even though the place was dirty and noisy and uh, smelly, uh, it was very secure. At the end of the quay, there was um, the the gen, gendarmerie was was there with machine guns and gun emplacements, and you know they the, the checkpoint. You couldn't get down this street without going through this checkpoint, and it's kind of disconcerting when you're in a foreign country and you see people walking around with um, Uzis and machine guns or when you go to the bank I had to go to the bank to get some get some money out of the bank that I had I was going to have transferred there which only takes a day or two but you know you can't get in the bank without you know passing a guard who's standing there it's not just a hired guard but it's you know it's a part of the police force he's standing there with an Uzi or two of them to protect the bank and this was during a period when the mafia in Sicily was very, very strong. And they dominated everything in all of Italy. Not just Sicily, but all of Italy. And I'm leading up to this because the boat that was right next to me was owned by Antonio Di Matteo, who was Italy's most famous prosecutor. He's the one that won the case that destroyed the mafia and put them all in jail. I was there not too many months before that. The other prosecutors that worked with him had been killed in bombings, one of which was killed on the road from the airport by a giant pipe bomb. So this is, this is the atmosphere. Industrial, machine guns, but everybody in Italy is living free. Everybody is happy. And they're going along and they just tolerate this or accept this to a certain degree. And then it's on. So it's, it's, it's an adjustment for somebody who's not used to it, who's an American, who, who's coming into this is, 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 with new eyes and open eyes and, and bright. Um, you know, thinking everybody's equal and thinking you know, we're protected and all the rest of this kind of stuff is far from the case. Very different now, of course, but back then it was far from the case. So while I'm on the boat, I'm just going to go ahead. I've got people coming. I'm going to go ahead and stock up. So I went to the market, um, Valero, which is, if you have a bucket list, please put this on your bucket list. This is a market you have to go to. The food, the fresh seafood, the organic vegetables, garden stuff, absolutely amazing. And, it, and, and the antipasta that you could buy and taste, uh, I mean, the spices, the olives, unbelievable olives. And you can just walk along and you take a little bit of this, a little bit of that. It's crazy. And in the fish part of the market... 
when I was there, they had a giant swordfish. And they were they were cutting the swordfish, cleaning it. They had cleaned it, and they were just they were cutting it up into uh, into servings. And people were standing in line for this piece of fish to come out. And they you know they bream and they have uh, sardines and you know all sorts of different um, fish, lots of um, uh, different crustaceans uh, like langoust. Um, they also have a lot of shrimp. The market is just a wonderful place. They have, they have people that are, that have little grills and they're grilling different meats. And of course you can get any kind of, uh, that you want, you know, different kinds of salamis and bolognese and pepperonis and, you know, the whole thing. And it's just absolutely wonderful and tasty and, and it's, Definitely bucket list stuff. Let me tell you, it's definitely bucket list stuff. So on the way back, I see this little boy and he's he's sitting on a milk box and he's got five gallon jug of wine in a basket you know those baskets that you see with the glass bottle inside five gallons and he's selling it and i say, oh yeah yeah and so he gives me a glass to taste it so i taste it and this is completely unsanitary you know here's a glass he wipes it off with his shirt which was filthy fill it up taste the wine it was delicious. It was very sort of, it was homemade. It was very red and, and fruity, um, but it had a nice body to it. And I thought, oh, okay, this is some pretty good stuff. I said, well, can I have, can I have a bottle? And he looked at me, he didn't speak English, and he looked at me with these big old brown eyes. And he kind of said, yeah, I, I could, a bottle. And he was going to give me the whole five gallons bottle and I said uh, okay I said how much is it you know quanto and he he he, you know he's got a little thing and it's 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 like 10 bucks I said okay let's go I said I'll buy it but so what happens is is rather than me taking this drug with me is the little boy picks it up and he's going to bring it carry it now you have to understand this boy he couldn't have been eight or nine and this five-gallon jug of wine was pretty heavy for him, but he was determined to carry it. And it's quite a ways, not a long ways, it's a good walk from the Bolero Market place to the port. But it's neat. It's a nice walk. So big streets, boulevards. So here I am, and it's almost like a movie from the 50s, right? I'm walking along with all these groceries in my arm and hands and he's following me with this giant five gallon basket bottled basket of wine so and he's dying all the way so and he's got slippers on and and he's just still prepared for this whole thing so anyway we go and we go through and they didn't the police that that guard 
you know, the checkpoint before you get in the marina. They weren't going to let them in with the wine. I said, this is my wine. You have to let them in. And they're, they don't, they weren't speaking any English. They knew a little bit that it was like this crazy thing. And it's like, you know, and he, he, the little boy was just like, wasn't afraid of them at all. He was like very belligerent. Like you can't stop me. So we walked down the, down the quay and we get to the boat and I see Angelo. He's in his office right behind the, with the fuel dock. And Angelo comes out and I said, Oh, Angelo, hey, I need your help here. Could you translate? Um, I, I want to buy the wine. He says it's like $10. And I, you know, what's the case? What are we going to do? You know, help me out with it. So he makes this translation. And as it turns out, the boy is selling the wine for $10. But the bottle and the basket are separate. And he will not sell those because he has to take them back to his grandfather because that's all they have. Okay. So, luckily, I had gallon, plastic gallon jugs that I had filled with water in the boat, sort of emergency water that I kept on the boat. In fact, I used to keep the water in the showers so that rather than using the water in the boat, you could use the gallon jug water to rinse yourself off in the boat, in the shower. And so I had a bunch of empties. So I ended up and I filled it. It was actually exactly five gallons. All right. So I poured them all the wine into the plastic jugs. I gave the, the boy back his thing. And I, I gave him like 20 bucks because it just seemed to me like it was unfair to take this wine for 10 bucks. And I gave him, I said, here, spend it on yourself, buy some shoes and this other thing. And Angelo, he said, that's too much. You shouldn't give him so much. You, you know, there's this, there's a, there's a, there's a way to do this and a way not to do this. And this is not a good way. So the boy leaves after Angelo's talked to him. A couple of hours later, the boy shows up with his grandfather and they're both carrying jugs of wine. He thought the tip was for more wine. $10. So now I got 10 more gallons <laughs> of wine. But I have to find some place to put it in. So I said, okay, great. Luckily, I, I got, I had a, a couple of, uh, I had actually quite a few gallon jugs left. Um, we managed, I managed to put them in a bunch of different vessels and anyway I got all the wine back and they walked off with their 20 bucks and I as Angela was looking at me and smiling like you know I told you so kind of thing um we just we just kept going it was pretty hilarious so the next day uh I went to the train station. And if you've ever seen the train station in Palermo, you'll you'll be shocked that you see all these, you know, swastika, uh, Nazi symbols up on the relief at the top of the train station. It's like, dude, what's this? Well, it is from fascist times when Mussolini, he rebuilt this station. And in fact, Mussolini plays within our podcasts uh, quite a bit in the future because of what he did in Greece um, as far as uh, restoration 
and a, a number of other things in Italy. But anyway, we'll 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 get into that a little bit later. But so to see that it's kind of shocking. But really, what it is, it was a symbol that was a part of the Roman uh, era, and it was a symbol of of power and all the rest. And it was representative of the Roman legions, and that's what those symbols were. And the Nazis just started using them and now that's we see the swastika that's of course what we think um but originally it was a it was a roman um symbol so the train station is very beautiful very elaborate classic neoclassic uh, architecture and this kind of thing but there's this there's an oval there's a circle and the traffic is ridiculous nobody stops okay the light is, is green or red or yellow or whatever. The traffic is moving. Uh, nobody pays attention. There's, it's chaos. I watched an old, oh no, I stood next to an old woman and, and we tried to cross the street. Nobody would stop. So we had, you know, and even when the light changed, hardly, you know, the cars would kind of slow down. Oh, it's a red light. Okay, but I'm making a right hand turn onto the circle. So I can go. And it's six, eight, ten lanes wide. And it's all going in a circle, and it's it's just pandemonium with cars. Very pandemonium. So I'm going to pick up my mate and her friends for, on the boat so they, you know, when they get off the train. So we're standing there trying to get to traffic, and here comes this woman. And I will tell you this, is I've never seen this before. Only in the movies. She's got the big floppy hat on, the sunglasses. She's tall. She's shapely. She has a beautiful summer dress on. She's carrying a, her purse in her hand with her arm cocked upwards. And she has on high heels. And she just looks like, you know, she could be Sophia Loren's sister. And she just walks. She never stops. She just walks off the curb right into the traffic. And the old lady that was standing there looked up at me and just smiled, kind of this toothless grin. And I remember she had hair, a lot of hair on her chin. But in any case, she just looked at me and kind of gave me the eye like, this is our time to go. And off we went and we followed this woman. And the traffic stopped. This car screeched to a halt. People got out, whoa, whoa, and they're screaming and yelling and stuff like that. Then the then the one word that sort of came over the the noise of the traffic and people screaming about why they had to stop was bella, bella, bella. And she just walked across that street with us in her toe, and we stepped across. And the men just, the people in the car just did, put their hands up, bella, bella, bella. Anything for a beautiful woman. It's so quintessential. Unbelievable. So I got my friends, my mate, to come back. And we went over to the boat. And we had, of course, I had, at this point, I had 15 gallons of red wine. So I was pretty well set for red wine. And we had a big dinner, and her friends, uh, one friend came from uh, North Dakota, where she was from, and um, then she picked up two other friends 
along the way that were, you know, she knew somehow or whatever the case may be. So we just had a great time. We had a great dinner. It was good to see everybody. And it was super, 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 super. And I only say this and make this kind of remark is because um, the next day, Antonio Di Mantillo came to see his boat. This is the famous prosecutor judge that uh, prosecuted all the mafia guys and got them in jail. So he shows up with with 12 body cards and two in two cars, three cars, right? And they're all in suits with Uzis. They're like the secret service. Cuz this is a this guy is the judge of he's like the Department of Justice guy for the whole island of Sicily. He's a very important man. And he has bodyguards everywhere because his life is being constantly threatened by the mafia while this trial is going on. But he's a boater. He likes fiddling around on his boat. And of course the bodyguards, they see all these young girls who are all in their late 20s, um, early 30s, and they're all pretty, and they're sunning on the deck in bikinis. And these guys, anybody could have attacked us at that point, and these these... <laughs> These poor Italian bodyguards would would not have reacted very quickly because their head was someplace else. And the girls were all very impressed because they were all quite handsome and muscular and they carried big guns. And it was just, it was kind of a weirdly funny moment. So the judge and I, we had a little bit of conversation about the boat and this, that, another thing. And he was a little bit, uh, his depth finder wasn't working very well. And he, he asked me some questions about that. And, and, uh, so I went on his boat and, and, and we fixed his depth finder. It was just basically a, um, a bad connection that happens sometimes with those because they're down, you know, in the hall at the bottom of and water gets in there and rust will crawl up the, um, the, the coating and you have to just clip it off and, and, and reattach it. And it worked out just fine. The time came for me to leave. Everything had been paid for. The, the, I had met Italy's most famous judge, who was a lovely man. Um, and we decided we were, we were ready to go. Okay. So we packed up everything, said goodbye to Angelo, and cast off and we... Me and the girls took Delphus out of the port through the Straits of Messina and we crossed the Ionian into Greece and eventually we went all the way to Rhodes where we began the charter season. Now on the way back, I would also stop in to see Angelo and, you know, they weren't all so dramatic. I never did find that young boy again with the wine even though the wine was great. And I drank the wine the whole, for the whole summer. And uh, most everybody, I think everybody liked it. It was, it was a good drinkable homemade Italian wine. But that's when you travel. Those are the kinds of things that you, that you remember. It's like you don't remember some expensive $300, $400 bottle of wine you have. You remember it. It's like, yeah, okay, that was great. But you remember 15 gallons of red grape juice, that's really, you know, pretty funny. And how you got it is makes the flavor even better. And that's really what we're talking about here. 
I decided to sail the coast of North Africa. This is uh, somewhat dangerous, uh, somewhat interesting, but actually pretty cool sailing. Um, you get the Scirocco is just beginning to set. So you have some pretty steady winds coming from the south. And it's essentially a beam reach. And you're just going along the coast. Now, a couple of the coast, it's kind of important to know that some of the coasts are dangerous and others aren't, right? The first coast that you have to sort of stay away from is Libya. And this is during a time when Omar Gaddafi was there. There was nothing that they would love more than to capture an American boat or whatever and make a big deal of it. So it's important to stay. In this case, we were about 60 miles off the coast. We were literally followed by a Libyan um, cruiser that left a, a pall of smoke. I mean, the engines must have been on their last legs. And it was painted white. Um, weird military ship. I, there actually was, I think it was an English-made uh, cruiser that was done probably after, made after World War II, designed-wise, etc. And, um, but anyway, they followed us. They followed us, but I, I, even though we were clipping along at about seven and a half, eight knots, you know, just steady, um, I don't think they could actually keep up with us, to be quite honest. But in any case, um, Libya is one country you wanted to avoid. Probably a good idea to avoid it today. Then after Libya, you get Tunisia. And Tunisia is a pretty, is a pretty cool country. Um, I, I feel bad about all their civil strife and stuff because the Tunisian people are really, from what I've met, are really, really nice place. And Tunisia is just a beautiful place. I mean, the ruins and the deserts and the, it, it's got this French flavor as well. It's really quite an incredible place to visit. Um, so we sailed all along the coast. We're fairly close. And, and what's remarkable is, is that it's, it's remarkably green. North Africa along the Mediterranean coast is quite green. I mean, there are points that I saw where the desert, the desert sand sort of spills into the Mediterranean. But uh, for the most part, it's very, very green. A lot of fishermen. It's an interesting. It's an interesting sail, but it's a very quick sail. We were going along. We ended up having to pull into Tabarka. I wanted to pull into Tabarka just because I wanted to check into Tunisia. I wanted to see what it was like, and this time it was like October, so it was really off season. And when we went in there, we had a big deal to get cleared in for one night, two nights actually. And that's the part I'm gonna tell you about relating we back to the idea of the protocol. So here comes this big American boat. There's really nobody in the marina. It's, it, they have a music festival in Tabarka. There's a big old uh, Genovese uh, castle there. Uh, it's very famous for its uh, red coral. Um, not the fiery red coral that hurt you, but it's almost like when you bring it up, it's almost like a plastic. It's 
used in a lot of jewelry and, and people dive on it. It's a pretty interesting dive site. Uh, but it's, it's just a dusty little town uh, for the most part. Um, so we were in there and we had it. Obviously, here we go. We have to check in. As I just said with Sicily's, checking in was $5.60. And why the hell are you checking in? This was a little bit different. So the customs official comes to the boat. They literally were on down standing next to the boat just at the time I was tying up. So they have to see the papers. They have to see the paper. We'll go through the papers and everything. Now I speak a little French. Not great, but enough to get through these sort of circumstances. But at the time, I had uh, three other sailors with me. One was Swiss French, so his French was very, you know, indigenous, and um, English guy and an American guy. And that was my crew for taking the boat from Europe uh, back to the Caribbean. And one of the reasons that you can get crew to go in that direction is, is that we would get we would arrive in time in Antigua that they could the mates could go and get jobs on other boats so it's it's the part of the migration of of boat workers back and forth um across the atlantic so this was a really uh you know it was a great trip we all had fun it was just simple but checking in was sort of a weird thing so the customs official looks at my papers and he says, you have to be inspected by the moral police because this is a Muslim country. Okay. So this guy shows up in a uniform and he is the moral police. He asked me if I have any movies or books or pictures that are lewd. And I, well, no, not really that I would think, but I don't know about you. I don't know what the parameters are here. So he said, well, let me look at your videos. So we go through, and, and, and this is funny because I had a guest on that worked for a big movie company, and she put me on a list to get videos, the same list that they would send out sample videos for uh, video store owners, which don't exist anymore, but... I had about three, four hundred videos over time that I had collected on the boat. And so he went through all, he looked at all the things. And I don't think he spoke English very well. And one video that he picks out of all the videos is Pretty Woman, which is about a prostitute. So he wants to see it. I said, sure, you could take it with you. You could take it home. I've seen it. I don't need it. And, you know, he was like... <clears throat> You know, he was very formal. He wasn't going to be doing that stuff. He would confiscate it, but he wouldn't just take it home. So he puts it in, and I'm I'm standing there as we're going through, and I gave him the remote control, and he's fast-forwarding, you know, from scene to scene to scene to scene. And if you remember, there's a scene where Richard Gere is sitting down, and she's going to give him a BJ, right? And she's on her knees in front of him. He turns it off right before that. And then stamps the papers and gives me the papers to say everything is okay. I said, do you want the video? He goes, and he just looked and he said, no, 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 no. And he, and he left. And we got approved. So he goes through, the, I mean, was that three-fourths of the way through the movie? Halfway through the movie? 
just there's no rhyme or reason. I don't think he understood what the movie was about to start with. I think he just thought that that it said woman, so that had to have been the key uh, thing for him. So I got my stamp papers, and now it was time for me to go to the police station. Which is always a little kind of, you know, I don't like going to police stations in general. Because you're really out of your element. You've got no control over the situation. So I take my Swiss-French mate with me, and I say, look, I'm just going to not speak French. You speak French if they ask you questions in French, and... Just let me know. So we go into the police station. We sit. And there's two desks. There's one for the immigration office officer who was the first time I'd seen him, and then the customs officer who was sitting right across from us. So they're 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 both looking at my ship's papers and um, a trick for anybody that's going to go cruising in different countries. People, they're always going to ask you for a crew list. So my suggestion is to make yourself a nice official looking stamp because not only want acrylic, they want stamps. They love stamps. All these people love to have things stamped. This is their life. I need a good stamp. Um, so I had a stamp made up with Daffy Duck on it. Okay. And so I stamped everything. All my papers were stamped with Daffy Duck. And they would look at it and think it was amazing. Okay, this is good. You know, that, that was approved. Some sort of authority had approved your paperwork. You know, it was Daffy Duck. It was a joke, but, you know, they they thought it. They, it, they see the stamp, that's it. They're done. So the customs guy is talking to me about this. And, 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 and the, my French friend, mate, is trying to go on about this. Well, I don't understand. The boat is this, and and what do you have? Do you have liquor on the boat? Do you have food on the boat? Do you have this on the boat? Where are you coming from? Where are you going to? We've never had anybody like that here. Da 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 da. And and how many people you have? Americans and stuff. So in the beginning, they actually suspected that we were with the CIA. That's what they suspected. They were very paranoid about spies didn't realize it in the beginning but i did realize it like the next day so we go through this whole thing and finally i said something in the conversation we're in this office for like 45 minutes and i said something to the mate in in french uh who was speaking french and translating and stuff like that and i said something in english that was a joke and i turn and i look and both these clowns are laughing so they understood english they were just trying to press me by speaking french so then i started to speak french and then they started to laugh okay and the charade was over okay the charade was over but then they said okay we would like to talk to you captain by yourself so i sent the mate out so here's what the bottom line ends up it was about a bottle of Glenlivet scotch. That's what they would have. That's what they would like. That's their quote unquote coffee money. That is a part of the duty, so to speak. And here's how I will pay the duty. The customs officer is going to come with his bicycle, which has a blanket in a basket in the back of the bicycle, and he's going to park it outside my boat. 
He is going to go over and get the watcher, because I have a watcher on the boat that I didn't know about, who's being paid to sit on a bollard and watch the boat by the government. So he's going to take that person over for a coffee. And while they're gone for the coffee, I will come out and put a bottle of Glenlivet scotch underneath the blanket on his bicycle. That was the deal. And that's exactly what I did. So the next day, there's really, there's this big, big open space, concrete covered space. And uh, the guys, we're all out there playing with a Frisbee. And we're going to, we're going to sail, but we're just taking a break. I'm, I'm ahead of schedule. I'm in good shape as far as, you know, getting going. So, um, I'm pretty happy. I, I mean, seriously, we're in good shape. Waiting for the bread to be uh, baked and posted. Um, they seem to had a problem at the time, and the entire town would show up at one bakery for the bread and um, the baguettes and stuff like that. And so we were just out there playing frisbee and, and having, you know, just guy fun or whatever. And this girl shows up. She's very pretty. Uh, she's she's actually Israeli, and her story was that she had recognized my boat and when she was in St. John in Coral Bay. And my boat had St. John Coral Bay as its port, registered port. So she starts talking to us, and she's Israeli, and, and I mean, it's just like this crazy thing, and she wanted to get on a boat to, you know, say hi and all the rest of this. It's good to see you. And do I know you? And do you know this person? Do you know that person? And she's, she says that she's, um, she lives in Paris now and, and she writes erotic literature. And that's her job. And, you know, being goofy, goofy guys were like, oh yeah, single girl in the middle of Tunisia writes erotic literature. This has got to be interesting. So we decided, I decided to invite her for dinner. And we were going to have tuna. We had caught about 20 tuna off the coast of Tunisia. Yes, it sounds crazy, but it's true. And uh, the guy, the American guy, uh, Adam, was very intent uh, to be a chef on on big yachts and stuff like that. So... We were eating tuna um, three meals a day, and he was cooking in every possible way. So she was very, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll come for tuna. So she's on the boat with us. We've set the table in the back. It's evening, and, you know, the lights are on, and I've just still had some of that red wine from Italy, and we're just talking, and, and we've got this beautiful tuna, and along comes the customs guy, or is the immigration guy. And the immigration guy says to me that um, she's a foreigner and that when she steps foot on my boat, she's in America. So she has to be cleared out of Tunisia to enter into America. And then I have to write a letter for her to be on the boat and giving permission. And then she has to enter back into Tunisia. And I'm like looking at this, like, I've never heard of this. It's kind of generally true. And I'm sure legally there is some truth to it, but it's like, you know, she's just having dinner on the boat kind of thing, right? 
So I write this paper. I go through the whole thing. I put my Daffy Duck um, stamp on it. And, and she, we have dinner and all the rest of this kind of stuff. I had to walk her home because I was told that I should escort her back to the hotel and let the people in the hotel know that she's back, that I have to personally go. Yeah. So anyway, I do this. <laughs> and, and off we go. Um, very interesting. The relationship, the things we talked about with this girl, she was very interested in what we were doing. She, as it turns out, was, we think, a Mossad agent who was just trying to figure out if we were CIA. That was her speculation. That was also the speculation of the Tunisian government. And therein lies a very, very crazy problem. We couldn't get out of there fast enough. But I got out of there and settled on the Algerian coast, which is another dangerous coast, or was a dangerous coast, it's not anymore, and headed to Gibraltar. But that's the Tabarka story. That's how you, you clear it. And that one cost me a bottle of Glenlivet. Sicily cost me um, $5.60. Um, very different atmosphere, very different uh, requirements. And that's sort of how you have to deal with the world. You have to be flexible. You have to be ready to go. You have to be ready for tons of games. It's just, I know Americans have a tendency to say, well, this is the rule and you can do this. The rest of the world doesn't work that way. There's a lot of latitude in what rules are. In some countries, rules are sort of just guidelines. But anyway, that's protocol. So whatever happened to that girl on the boat? Was she really a Mossad agent? Well, the Tunisian police thought so. They thought we were CIA. Um, the whole, you know cover story of her being a, 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 an erotic uh, writer of literature living in Paris and she's Israeli and she was just coming there by herself to go diving uh, for the red coral. Um, it's great for our story, but for her cover story, I think it was a bit thin. I see. Did So did you ever see her again? Yeah, we saw her on the way out of the port. Uh, she was on a dive boat that just flew past us, and she waved to us as it went by. But and that was the last I ever saw her, and um, probably good riddance at that particular point. But yeah, we were. It's you get that feeling when you're like in that kind of situation where the political climate climate is a little bit off kilter, so to speak. You. You know, you got to move along just to be safe. Yeah, yeah. I bet I bet you met a lot, meet a lot of interesting characters sailing around the Mediterranean. Oh, around the Mediterranean. I mean, one guy I became very good friends with in the in the Caribbean was wanted by Interpol. He was like a major crime figure, but he turned out to be one of the nicest guys I had I met. Um, yeah, that would, that's a crazy story we'll get to 
yeah, we'll get to that one eventually. All right, we'll save that for another episode. So what do we have coming up next week? Next week we have this uh, we have an interview. It's a very special interview uh, with a Portuguese uh, uh, with a Portuguese journalist, uh, Rita Garcia. Um, she's going to tell us how, in a very entertaining way, how Portugal has coped with the COVID virus. Um, their government has done very well in stemming the virus, and the people have stayed home, and how everybody sort of pulled together. It's a really interesting story. It just illustrates how wonderful the people of Portugal are. And we'll get some tips also on, um, on grilling fish, grilling sardines. There's a whole art. Trust me. So it'll be a great, it's going to be a fun episode. Thank you for tuning in. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, be sure to rate and review. You can find us on Facebook and at offshoreexplorer.org. You can also listen to past episodes at offshore-explorer.simplecast.com. Our theme song is sung by Paulette McWilliams, with additional music by Tommy Ivisevich. Until next time, fair winds and calm seas. Down in the South Texas streets of Laredo, I fell in love with a sweet Texan girl.